everybody, and welcome back to Retrospect. I'm one of your hosts, Kate Galliford. And I'm Corbin Gregg. On today's episode, we wanted to take a look at the world of film and television and exactly how it's changed over the course of the last few months. With the sudden interruptions to filming and in-theater releases brought on by the pandemic, as well as a greater scrutiny of how Hollywood has repeatedly failed to properly represent and compensate people of color, it's become clear that the industry is coming up on a period of necessary change. But what exactly will those changes be? In order to get some answers to our many questions, we chat with Fordham students and lovers of film, Tyler Bay and Kevin Stoll. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. Kate and I are far from experts on film and TV, or really the entertainment industry in general. So firstly, we wanted to know exactly what connections to the industry our two guests had. So here's Tyler and Kevin. I mean, ever since I was like, like really, really young, like my family would just have this massive collection of just like VHS tapes, especially Disney VHS tapes. And it was just, it was always a ritual in my house, like just to marathon each of them, like back to back, basically. And from then on out, like, I would just kind of become more and more exposed to, like, different kinds of films, different genres. I remember getting, like, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was, like, a flip video camcorder, kind of when I was, like, nine years old. And then from there, it was just, like, that was, like, basically, like, when I hear about directors talking about, like, how, oh, yeah, I spent my childhood making Super 8 short films. Like, that was my Super 8, basically. And I would just make short films with each of my friends. And then as I grew older and, like, my adolescence came, if from there it just it would grow bigger and bigger and just I would start to appreciate it more as like an art form and kind of like oh it's more than just a you know value of entertainment it's like a legitimate thing that can make people I mean like feel good for one but also just kind of insight like give insight to like new ideas and like new visions of like a certain world like a certain future even and I think within that it's like it is very much an art form one that I think, in my opinion, doesn't get nearly appreciated enough. So I guess my relationship is definitely more of a hands-on thing. I am at Fordham for a theater performance. And so, like just yesterday, I was shooting a short film with my friend, and he's a great director. And so he pulls from, like, different inspirations. And so I'm always, I feel like I'm always, like, in the thing. In terms of, like, viewing and watching, I... I do love, I love movies. Although I'm a theater major, I have to say I do like movies a bit more than theater at times, especially considering how accessible film and TV is and how I can just watch it from anywhere, especially now when, you know, Broadway and most theaters are closed. So I'm a fan of film and TV, yes. The film and entertainment industries have been facing more obstacles than just the coronavirus in the last few months. Later, we'll hear more from Tyler about his perspectives on how Hollywood has succeeded or failed at responding to criticisms about their ineffective attempts at encouraging diversity in film. Firstly, though, we wanted to hear more about the effects of the pandemic on the movie viewing experience. I wanted to take a moment to talk about what inspired this episode, which was a conversation Corbin and I were having about the last movie that we saw in person in a theater we were kind of joking about whether or not they're going to be the last ones we ever saw in theater in person. And it came to light that the last movie Corbin saw was the Sonic film. And so I just want to take a minute and I wondered what you made of that, what your opinions were as a film professional. The last film I saw was actually this, um, 
independent film. It was called The Nest. It was directed by Sean Durkin. They had it playing in a theater nearby, like Teaneck, New Jersey, I believe. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's what it was because I live in Wyckoff. No, yeah, but I think like in looking at that question overall as to like what's the last film that you saw in a theater. Now, nowadays with the coronavirus pandemic and everything, I feel like people kind of like, they're now looking to that question more of like being valuable, I guess you could say. Because it's not just a matter of like, oh, what was the last film I saw? Um, I got to think about this. It's like, oh, it was this. No, it's now just become like, wow, oh my God, it's been months, literally months since I've seen a film in a theater. I think like that to me is especially scary because I would like, I'm the kind of person who like, I'll see two to three movies in a theater a week. Like that's just something I'll normally do. And come March, I was like, wow, I can't do that anymore. So that's jarring. We know that you actually went to see a movie in person since March as movie theaters are starting to reopen. So we just wanted to hear more from you about what that was like, what movie you saw, how that experience was different, and walk us through how that all happened. What I remember, it was like an hour and a half to two hour drive, which like any, any other sane person would be like, no, I'm not doing that. But of course I was like, no, I'm doing that. <laughs> and me and a friend from my hometown, we both decided this is what we're gonna do. Uh, the new Christopher Nolan film, Tenet, was opening that weekend. And I believe at the time, theaters in New Jersey weren't open yet. We also wanted to see the film in IMAX because it was kind of like it was built for that format. So in the nearest IMAX theater was, coincidentally, AMC Danbury 16. So we both decided, like, all right, Friday afternoon, let's drive to an hour and a half to two hours, and we'll see what happens. Once we got there, it was just we walked inside. Basically, there were hand sanitizing stations everywhere like literally everywhere you turn it just it felt like there was a hand sanitizing station which is beneficial to say the least but everyone was of course wearing a mask because that's the new protocol now um you also had to wear a mask while you were sitting in the auditorium and for a two and a half hour film wearing a mask for that long kind of was grating after a while but i mean overall i'm grateful that i did it and i'm happy that i finally did it after months and months of not being able to go to a movie theater again and like even if it meant you know you have to wear a mask or maybe you should wear gloves or you should like you know hand sanitize yourself i was still willing to do it nonetheless the the reason see in terms of like tenants release they specifically want to release it say around like labor day weekend because like theaters theaters were supposed to reopen i believe at around like in july because Tenet was originally going to be releasing in July. And the whole idea was like, all right, theaters are going to be releasing just in time for that specific film, because that's going to be the kind of blockbuster that brings people in. So eventually they decided, like late August, they finally opened to the public just in time for Tenet's release. And now like a lot of the big blockbusters that were supposed to come out, like say in October or November or December that were delayed until those times, they've now just been taken off the schedule entirely and they've been pushed to like 2021. In terms of the future of movie theaters, like I just, I, I think about that every day, pretty much, because you see arguments all the time about like how streaming is better, streaming is you know more convenient, streaming is cost effective, streaming is this, streaming is that. I do appreciate streaming. I have a Netflix account. I have an Amazon Prime account. I also have, I believe, an HBO Max account. I could be wrong though, um, but. You know, I, the content that comes to these services is valuable and I do watch it for myself. But like when push comes to shove, if I have the choice between, okay, you could either watch this film like through a streaming service or you could watch like say 
a DCP digital cinema package version of it in a movie theater or especially like a 35 millimeter print of it, like an, on actual film, then I would gladly take that. I've always been a proponent of just the theater experience as a whole because it's like, it's not enough in my opinion just to like sit down with your laptop and watch something or to even just sit down on your couch and watch something on like your family room television. To actually be in an auditorium and have the lights dim down, I feel like it's almost like it's a magical experience in that way. I know that sounds cliche to talk about, but I really think it's like that. Theaters have been declining and the film industry in terms of box office has been declining for decades now. Even with all the films that are out and like making billions and billions of dollars, general theater interest is generally declining. And like, I've always just, I've always hated that so much because it's just, it's something special to me and yet other people are like, I, I get it. I get why people love streaming and I appreciate it as well. But to me, it's like, it's no substitute whatsoever. Yeah. To touch on streaming services a bit, I, part of me is fearful of losing, you know, movie theaters. I love going to the theater. However, I think streaming services unlocks so many doors and avenues for for people that wouldn't necessarily know about movies like I'm Not Your Negro, shows like When They See Us, things that open people's eyes and that can stay on streaming services for a very, 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 very long time. You go to the movies and if you miss it, you miss it. And, or you have to buy it, but no one's gonna, no one, people don't even have DVD players. And so I think this is a, this is a helpful answer to the accessibility um, conversation. For the last few months, headlines have been dominated by two topics, the coronavirus and racism in America. As people begin to view institutions and industries with increasing scrutiny about how they participate in and contribute to racial inequality, we've seen an entertainment industry struggling to respond to criticism. Here's Tyler. When we talk about diversity and inclusion, maybe we should understand that it's not necessarily a linear topic. It's not a, it's not a checkbox for how many movies this year. You know, there, there are movies from the past 100 years that are still valuable to this conversation, and we should be able to have access to those. In terms of people getting paid fairly, I, every time that conversation arises in like film and TV, this video of Viola Davis, comes to mind. I've watched it so many times, I basically know what she talks about, like how she has her Oscar, her Emmy, her two Tonys, how she went to Juilliard, this, that, and how she's done Broadway, off-Broadway, film, TV, just her extensive career, and how she's not even close to being on par with her contemporaries, our white contemporaries. And I think that is so devastating to hear as someone that wants to be an actor and then but just being black in general like knowing there are no I cannot compare myself to my white counterparts you know I can't just expect okay if I do this then I'll get that because that's what they did you know if I get my degree and if I get all these um, you know whatever internships if I get this and the third I cannot necessarily expect that um, success just from doing what my white counterparts are doing. And so that's hard. Of course, the most important time of the year for the film industry is award season, 
which usually takes place between November and February. Although I don't think this will be news to anyone, the pandemic is not projected to end by November or February, or frankly, any time within the next year. Still, according to the Academy, the show will be going on. Our guests, however, had more to say on the topic. Specifically in terms of the Oscars, me and my friend were talking about this recently. We just, we think it's just not going to happen because there's not that much content there. Because I believe they, the new Oscars date is like sometime in April instead of February. And the deadline to submit your film is in February now. And when looking at the release schedule, even with all the films that have been pushed back to like early 2021, it's like, no, there's no way. It, it just, it doesn't seem feasible in that respect. In terms of the Emmys, like they had an advantage, I think, because the Emmys are always in September. So from September of 2019 to early March of 2020, like they had that window of time to kind of put out new content. And then also sometime after that, if it was already in production and they were ready to release it. So I think the Emmys was still able to go on because they did have new content to kind of give people and new content that would qualify for the awards and the nominations that they would have. The same isn't true for the Oscars because our last Oscar ceremony was obviously like February of 2020, which celebrated the films of 2019. The films that came out in say January, February, and early March, in my opinion, like no way were they ever to qualify for Oscars of 2021. So there wasn't that much content from the get-go. Then the pandemic happened and it's like, okay, now all that content you've been waiting for, push it back. It's gone now, at least until further notice. And the Academy, I know that they made like a new rule basically where it's like streaming films, like films that just go straight to streaming, like they will now qualify for best picture basically. Because I know in the past, like for films that have been released on Netflix, like say Roma or The Irishman or Marriage Story, it's kind of like you need a theatrical release as well, which those films did have. But now it's like with theaters not open, streamers or straight to streaming films can qualify now. So at least like there's that. And with like several award season contenders, like one of them in particular was going to be a new film from Wes Anderson. It was called The French Dispatch. It was supposed to come out, I believe, in May. Then they delayed it to October. Then they delayed it to February to qualify for... Um, Oscars of 2021. And then Wes Anderson then came out and was like, you know what? Like, forget the Oscars. We're going to delay it until like May 2021 so it could qualify for the Cannes Film Festival. So, in that respect, it's like we're waiting for the Oscars of 2022, basically. Well, for if that even happens at all, it probably will, hopefully. Now, yeah, the reason I was saying, like, with my friend that like we just don't think it's going to happen is because the content that we've been getting, I don't think it's, say, up to par with the Academy standards. And I don't think they'd be willing to like suffice and be like, well, you know, this isn't the kind of normal content we get, but it's the only content we've been getting. So we should qualify it nonetheless. I don't think they would do that. That's of course my opinion, but I mean, who knows? Maybe it could happen. Maybe the Oscars will happen in April of 2021. I highly doubt it, but it's up for debate really. Yeah, so it's um, kind of ridiculous. This idea of having an award show celebrating art that either was compromised or I think it's very interesting considering a few things. One, a lot of production, you know, was halted and projects were not necessarily executed in the way that they probably imagined towards COVID's genesis. But here we are like celebrating and then we're also celebrating in a time where a lot of people are dying. Um, and sick, celebrating 
And so it's interesting because I do think that the Emmys did a, a good job with diversity and inclusion this year. You know, obviously there's Zendaya who was like the star, if you will. But then you have Regina King and then you have nominees um, from like Mahershala Ali and Sterling K. Brown. And I think even like Don Cheadle, uh, Angela Bassett, many more, many, many more. And that's the thing, there are so many Black actors nominated for Emmys this year that I do think it deserving celebration. And, and that should be something that we that we celebrate. My mom doesn't like award shows because, you know, she thinks it's, well, the last time I checked, she thinks it's, you know, rich people clapping or patting their back because they're rich. And, and you know, there are bigger problems to worry about. And that's true. Like, sure, the Black Lives Matter movement has pushed for diversity and, and, and inclusion, but we're pushing like at the top level, like that's, that's not where most people are actually going to be affected by the what we're trying to address. And so, yes, a lot of Black artists got Emmys, but, you know, on the, in my day-to-day, -day, does that affect me? Does that affect my friends? No. Am I still, you know, trepidatious to go out wearing certain clothes because the NYPD seems so aggressive and spiteful? Yeah. And so it's a weird thing. It's like cool the Emmys, but also is that about the Black Lives Matter movement? Not necessarily. Is Regina King winning her Emmy gonna literally affect me? No, but I do, like I said earlier, I do watch TV and movies. And like you said too, partially escape, right? And so it's a back and forth and it's a conversation because you can't necessarily just fix the world overnight. And so in the meantime, it, it's nice to to watch TV and movies. And while I'm watching it, I do want to see certain things and I want to relate to certain things. I think it's as of 2020, the Academy is going to be instituting new submission standards for the Oscars. And these submission standards are all about diversity. And I was looking it over and it literally is just a memo where it's a film has to one, have a person of color in any of these racial or ethnic groups. And then it's literally a checklist of different non-white racial or ethnic groups. And then a second qualification was that at least 30% of the screen time or like number of lines, whatever has to be revolving around a story that includes a woman, an LGBTQ person, or any person from the racial groups already listed um, earlier in the memo. And it just struck me as strange and almost a weird calculating form of diversity and inclusion that very much felt like it was kind of a lackluster response to the hashtag that was popular a few years ago, like Oscar's so white, and just general outcry about how much cinema revolves around white stories and cast white actors and is created by white people. And so is this enough to satisfy what people are really searching for, which is true, thoughtful inclusion? Because I just watched a movie that's on Netflix, and I think that it had literally zero characters of color in it even in the background, certainly not as a lead. And I didn't check that, but the fact that I'd have to fact check it, it's absurd. Like it's an absurd thing for a 2020 movie to be struggling with. I think it would still qualify for the most part for the Oscars because it has women in it. But the women in it are abused and brutalized and oftentimes murdered in the film. No one has a happy ending at the end of it. 
And that to me wasn't meaningful inclusion, just seeing women on screen get abused by men. And so is this a step forward in the right direction or is it kind of just a meaningful way for the Oscars and the Academy to kind of cover their tracks and be like, we're trying? I had never necessarily considered the requirements in that lens. I think you're right, lackluster effort on the Oscars part may in turn produce lackluster results. And so I can just imagine like, you know, a, a five second shot of, of, you know, all the requirements in, in one scene or, or whatever, whatever have you, just to check the box or something of that nature where it's like half-assed. Um, but I think that is the director and writer's fault in that case. Films, you know, Barry Jenkins comes to mind where he just writes what he wants to write or he um, adapts what he wants to adapt. Films like that, which don't necessarily, he's not trying to fill a requirement, it's just truth. I think those are the films that we need to bring, bring forth because the requirement, while on paper is good, it's not necessarily what it's what we're looking for because you can have a film that is supposed to be that a film that was written you know not meant for these requirements and then backtrack and then just add what you need to or make some sort of lackluster you know checking of the boxes it's funny because when i first found out about these requirements like a few months ago or last month i read like the twitter comments big mistake but there were so many people like like oh my gosh art should be art should be about talent and and they're just trying to push an agenda and and i'm like if you read the requirements you'll know that like congratulations you can still have your all-white cast and just have some people behind the scenes working or have some money donated somewhere like congratulations and even if they wanted to you know intentionally cast a black actors it, that's not something that should be considered anything different than casting you know white actors because they're white like that's most of the casting that we see anyway it's, it's like do you necessarily have the qualifications? No, but you fit this sort of look that we want for this film, and so and so you're going to get cast for the role. I can't I can't like think of how many times I've seen mediocre acting, even on especially in theater, mediocre acting that is excused by the kind of idea of oh this is the person that we want because they're the you know they're the white cute boy that is popular on social media so we're gonna put him out there on stage and it's like what <laughs> well what's the difference if it's better if, if we're really talking like what's the difference if we're if we need a diversity requirements we've been doing the opposite for, for forever so admittedly these interviews paint a bleak picture of the future of film and television as with all things there had to be a silver lining at the very least, we wanted to hear about Kevin and Tyler's favorite films or television shows of the year. Plus, what to look forward to in the coming months. So when the pandemic 
happened, it took a lot of things away. That's obvious. So, you know, kind of social gatherings, no more. Eating indoors, no more. But within time, it seemed like people really wanted that back. They wanted to eat indoors again. They wanted to have social gatherings. To the point where 4th of July weekend, unfortunately, a lot of people got together and decided it was a good idea to party in large groups. But that's another story for another time. Um, but yeah, I think in that respect, it goes to show like just how much people missed that experience and how much they wanted that experience back. And now with more and more states allowing indoor dining, especially New York, um, it's kind of like it's giving people what they want again. Because they think to themselves like, okay, well, it's safe now. At least it's safer than it was before. And as long as you just, you know, abide by regulations and you wear a mask as you go inside and whatever, as long as you just maintain protocol, you should be fine and you can still enjoy what you've been enjoying for the past years of your life. I mean, I'm hoping for when the day comes that people finally, like, the pandemic finally ends whenever, whenever that day will come. And people will finally go back to the theaters and hopefully, you know, remember why they loved it so much, if they even loved it at all. So, out of the limited slate that does exist, what has been your favorite film of 2020 so far? I know the only film I have seen in theaters is Sonic the Hedgehog, so I guess I have to say that Sonic the Hedgehog is my favorite movie that I've seen this year. And are there any films slated to be released later this year that we should be excited for? Honestly, my favorite film of 2020, number one, it's technically, it was technically released in 2019, but it just went to New York in 2020. And B, this was before the pandemic. And that was um, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's like a foreign language film. Wow, gotta jump in here. A great choice. Yep. Um, Yeah, other than that though, I mean, there hasn't been that much I've seen so far in 2020 that I've really just loved or really enjoyed. In terms of what's coming out throughout the rest of the year, Sofia Coppola has a new movie that's apparently in theaters now. It's called On the Rocks. It's with Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. She's, she made Lost in Translation, by the way. Whatever ends up playing at a theater nearby, whatever ends up playing you know, next week or so, I, like, I say go and check it out if you're willing to. In terms of the pandemic, you know, a lot of people are working from home now. And I think that alone provides so much more accessibility for single moms, for parents that, you know, can't afford to spend so much money driving to wherever it is they work. Working from home alone increases inclusion. And then another thing, what I've learned is a lot of people in my family don't have to worry about this, this workplace culture where they have to worry about, oh, how am I going to style my hair? Do I have to code switch? Do I have to dress a certain way now? And just the culture alone is exclusive. And I think working from home answers that. And it, it sucks that 200,000 people had to die for us to find some sort of answer, but at least there is some positive that comes from it. Kind of a final thing, a little fun, more light lighthearted question at the end of this so uh we talked a lot about the emmys so what would you say that out of limited options albeit because of the pandemic pushing back production schedules things like that what is your favorite tv show of 2020 that's hard but i will say 
there is a particular scene and I just watched episodes of Ratchet um, with Sarah Paulson. There, there's one actress, uh, what's her name? Sophie Okonedo, I think is how you pronounce her name. I think it's episode five. If you get to episode five, you'll know what I'm talking about. I'm not gonna spoil it, but oh my gosh, the best acting I've seen this year. So, so good. So I don't think I could, I don't know my, favorite show i don't know i've been watching a lot of new girl just because it's it de-stresses me makes me feel good most of the time kind of speaking of netflix i guess there's this movie what is it um i'm thinking of ending thing that's the movie there's this great movie on netflix i'm thinking of ending things it really blurs time and makes me think about the relationship of consumption and old age and i really enjoyed it so that is a movie if you want a movie yes <laughs> so i just want to say for all our listeners at home who weren't there to see the pain in all our eyes when corbin said that his favorite movie of 2020 was sonic the hedgehog i wanted you all to know it was there and that it was visceral yes kate thank you <laughs> so much i i'm glad that i have this space to be able to really unpack my deep-seated emotions about having Sonic the Hedgehog be the last movie I saw before the pandemic started. I do hope that soon enough and safely enough, we will all get to go back to the movie theater and sit and watch movies together with people that we know and see some of the new movies that were delayed from this year. I definitely like fell on the side of the spectrum that Kevin was talking about, where it's like other people love that experience and they miss it and they're going to go right back to it as soon as they feel it's safe or like the other side people that are more interested in streaming they feel like movie theaters have gotten too costly I know a lot of people have issues with people like being on their phones constantly during a movie which would like drive me crazy but no I definitely I love going to the movie theaters it really adds something to the experience so yeah I I'm really looking forward to it this has been Retrospect very special thanks to Kevin and Tyler for joining us today. As always, I'm Corbin Gregg. And I'm Kate Galliford. Now go get some popcorn, curl up on the couch, and watch a movie. Until next time, stay safe, and we'll catch you later. <laughs>